If uh, you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 26, and we're going to continue, if I can not break this thing. I know, it's, yeah, I don't get too many treats. He only got two treats, he said. See, two treats. 1 Samuel chapter 26, we're going to continue to look at a study at a man after God's own heart. And again, as we look at this study with David, it's so important that we realize that David, just like us, there's nothing that separates David from us. So that concept of being a man or woman after God's own heart is not some elusive thing that can't be attained It's simply a matter of making Christ central. It doesn't mean you don't fail. It doesn't mean you don't mess up. It doesn't mean you don't lie. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. It just means you keep Christ central. And you're always constantly returning back to the Lord, seeking His forgiveness, seeking His blessing, seeking His guidance. Coming back to Him when we stumble or fall or fail is a key to what David was all about. And as we look at chapter 26... We're going to see, once again, David being betrayed by the Ziphites. Let's take a look. Chapter 26, verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hachaliah, opposite Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. To seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, if this sounds like deja vu, it's because it happened before. The same Ziphites had betrayed David before. Two things that you need to know about the Ziphites. One, they are a family uh, that's descended from Caleb. Second thing that you want to know from, not only are they descended from Caleb, but they're the line of Judah. Both of those are tied to David. So they ought to be with him. But what they're really about, what they're really trying to do is get themselves, honor themselves in the eyes of the king and find a favored position because of that. And one of the things that you see when you look at David is this attitude within himself that he never would self-promote. He wasn't interested in making sure his name was in the paper or his uh, acts were sung by the people like they had sung earlier. It just happened. And the same way in, re, in, in terms of becoming king. Did he want to become king by going and taking it by strength of arm? No. He just said, God will do it. God will do the work. God's anointed me. God's called me. God will do the work. He didn't have to go and make it happen. Make Saul get out of the way in order for him to establish himself. But the Ziphites we see a little bit different. The Ziphites, they, they're looking for that by their own action, trying to achieve greatness in the eyes of the king. There's just one problem, right? The guy they betrayed twice is going to be king in about four chapters. So, you know, the, so, so often our abilities of trying to build a name for ourselves only get in the way. If we submit to the Lord and just do what God's laid out for us to do, Whatever the next thing is God's calling us to do, just do that. 
We don't have to self-promote. We don't have to, to, you know, try to make anything special happen. We can just wait on the Lord. And didn't the psalmist write that for us? Wait on the Lord. Wait on Him. Be still and know I am God. Waiting upon the Lord. And that was a real strength for David. Not so much for the Ziphites. And so David writes a psalm about this time. If you want to turn over to the Psalms, you want to turn to your right in your Bible and you'll come to Psalm 54. And we'll take a look at Psalm 54. Psalm 54 being a a psalm that uh, David wrote during this time. You'll see Psalm 54 to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Okay, so this is during that time. Here's what David had to say. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Selah is a term of music. It's a term of rest. The idea behind the concept Selah in the Psalms means, whenever you see a Selah, it means stop and meditate on what you just read. Stop and meditate on on what God has just said to us. Look who David's calling out to. He's not, I'll tell you who he's not calling out to. He's not calling out to a lawyer. He's not calling out to a legal system or a government to save him. He's calling out to God. In when we come to, to uh, the time in Chronicles as Solomon is, is dedicating the temple, we're going to see that same concept. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That was spoken at a high time in Israel's history. That was spoken at the dedication of the temple with Solomon. Things weren't bad. It was just a reminder. Where does our help come from? What would the psalmist write in the Psalms? He would say, I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? And understanding, where is our help? Our help is from God, maker of heaven and the earth, right? Our help is from Him. And having that a mindset, our eyes set, our, our focus on Him, whatever the situation is, it doesn't make any difference what you're facing or what you're struggling with. Our help comes from Him. And that's what David is proclaiming in Psalm 54. Save me, O God. By what? By your name. By your name. Yahweh, the becoming one. The becoming one. Uh, he is the I am. Literally, I am. Ego, I me. The, the phrase in Exodus when Moses said, let me tell the children of Israel who has sent me. If I just go tell them God sent me, they won't know who I'm talking about. So tell me your name. And God said, tell them I am. You tell them, I am has sent you. Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, consonants, no vowels, unpronounceable name of God. It means the becoming one. I am. What's he saying? I am everything you need. So when he says, save me by your name, he's saying, you, God, almighty, are everything I need. You become Everything I need. My sustainer, my provider, my healer. I mean, is there anything God isn't? He is what we need. We don't always like how he works. 
But he is always, in every time, that which we need. Save me by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me and oppressors seek my life. They have not set God before them. See, as David is calling out his prayer to the Lord, he recognizes that Saul's not trying to do what God wants. Saul's not seeking the Lord. He has deafened every godly voice in his life, hasn't he? He killed all the priests, remember? So there's not a whole lot of priests running to Saul saying, Hey, Saul, let me tell you what God said. Which is going to become a problem in two chapters because Saul's going to go seek godly counsel from a witch. Because he can't find any priests because he killed them. Because he can't find any godly counsel because he has not listened to the godly counsel that he received. And so now God's voice is He's deaf to God's voice. He can't hear. He can't be led. So what does David say in verse 4? Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who help themselves, right? Oh, that's not what it says? You guys have heard that before, right? Because God helps those who help themselves. That's Benjamin Franklin. By the way, not Jesus Christ. (laughs) He says... God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Saying the the guys that were with David. How many has he got with him? 600. David's 600 guys. He says the Lord's with them. God's here. They had, unlike Saul, they had the voice of God, right? The only remaining high priest. All of his family had been wiped out. But him, he went to where? David. He had the ephod, right? The Urim and the Thummim. He's able to, to speak to David. Godly counsel. And so he says, He will repay my enemies for their evil and cut them off from your truth. Hey, this is a really difficult concept for us to grasp, okay? But it was something that really set the the mind, the heart of David apart. And that was what God says to us in his word. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. David's not trying to get even with Saul. Now there's other people he tries to get even with. We saw that last week. But he's not trying to get even with Saul. What, is he, what has he done? He has committed all the hurt that Saul did to him to God. And he has in essence said to the Lord, you judge between him and me. He's in your hands, God, not mine. And he just left him there. He didn't go back and pick him up or try to vindicate himself. He says, he will repay my enemies for their evil. And he will cut them off from your truth. And that's exactly what has happened. They have not got the word. They don't have God speaking to them and guiding them. David understands that. So I will freely sacrifice to you, and I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Keep in mind, what was happening when he said that? I will praise your name, for it is good. Oh yeah, Saul and 3,000 men were hunting him. Wasn't all his problems were solved. It wasn't that he got the gold under the rainbow. It wasn't that all the things had worked out. He wrote that running for his life. Probably the most powerful, most powerful praise I have ever heard in my life came from the voice of a father whose son had just died. Motorcycle accident. Young, young man had a, a little girl, a wife. Freak accident. They're just out dirt bike riding. I mean, there was nothing crazy. They weren't riding all nutty or nothing. He just ate it and landed on a rock. 
had a helmet on. He hit it with his chest. Shattered his chest. And the shards of the bone in his chest punctured his heart. I mean, he was, he was just about dead by the time they got him to the hospital. Doctors did whatever they could trying to save him. But when the doctors came in to, to let the family know, I'll never forget all my days. The doc comes in. You could tell he didn't have to say nothing. You can tell by the look on his eyes he's not going to give you good news. And so when he said, your son died, we did everything we could. We're sorry. I watched that dad lift his hands and say, I praise you, God, of heaven and earth. I don't understand, but I praise you. I'm sitting in the room thinking, I got to really, you know, Lord, give me something to say. Help me be able to encourage the family. And, and instead, I get encouraged from a father whose heart's broke. He's not happy. But he praises God anyway. Because we can praise God in the storm. We can praise God while we're fleeing from our enemies. We can praise God before the deliverance has come. I think that praise is better than any other praise anyway. It's easy to praise after the Red Sea parts and you got to the other side and the enemy was swallowed, right? Would have been awesome to have praised him on the banks knowing that he would deliver. And so that's what you see in the, in the heart of David. Praising God even though he hasn't been delivered. And he says in verse 7, For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. He has delivered me from all trouble. Um, he wasn't delivered yet. But David saw that his relationship with God meant that he was delivered already. I'm already delivered, no matter what happens. I'm delivered because I have a relationship with God Almighty. We have already won the victory, right? We fight from victory. Is there something that we have yet to win? No. In the end, where do we stand? By Jesus Christ, before God Almighty, victorious. It's done. It's done. And so the psalmist praises the Lord during this time when the Ziphites betray him for the second time. Well, let's look what happens. It says in verse 3, back in 1 Samuel, And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakaliah, which is opposite Jeshion in the uh, Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. Now, think back. Why did David say this? Think back to the last time David met Saul. Remember, David's hiding in a cave. Saul comes into the cave. David sneaks up and cuts the hem of his garment. Everybody with me? Cuts the hem of his garment. And then as, when Saul leaves, he holds up and says, Hey, look, I, I could have taken your life, but I didn't take your life. And Saul said, Oh, I've, I've been such a foolish man. I'm sorry, David. I'm not ever going to hunt you again. And he left. So when David got word, Saul's back out hunting you, he didn't believe it. He's like, no, Saul said he wasn't going to come. So he went to go see. Surely Saul's not. I mean, maybe the army's still chasing me, you know, because he thinks the enemies he has is all the advisors that, that Saul has. So he, he, does, he understands that there'd still be a hunt, but he figured Saul was done with it. So he goes out. Scripture says he went out to look. And he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. So David sent out spies and understood that indeed... Saul had come 
Saul would come, breaking his word, struggling with that concept. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. So David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? I love the kind of leadership that you see in David, because David doesn't say, Which one of you guys is going to go down there? He says, Who's coming with me? He's going... He just wants to know who's going to come along. He wants to know who's going to be with him. Who's going to come. So, Abishai says, I will go down with you. Now, keep in mind what's going on. Saul and Abner are sleeping in the middle of camp, surrounded by 3,000 guys, all sleeping on the ground, open air. And you're going to walk through 3,000 guys to get to Saul. Seems like a risky proposition, doesn't it? When's the last time? We could be successful to sneak past 10 people, 100 people. 1,000 people might be pushing it. Tiptoeing through. What, you're going to st- step on a goat head. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what's going on. with. Well, here they come. They're coming. They're going to sneak up on them. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there was Saul sleeping in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. And Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand today. Now therefore let me strike him at once with the spear and I'll pin him to the earth. And I will not even have to hit him a second time. We always have to beware the counsel of good friends as they look at the circumstances that God has provided in your life. This means God wants you to kill him. There he is. Stick the spear and the spear's right there. You, you probably won't even wake anybody up, David. They'll just wake up and the king's dead. You could be the king. It's all over. There it is. Take it. Take it. But here's what David does. David understood. this. David never wavered on this concept. Never. Abishai wants to, wants to kill him. Look what David says. David said, do not destroy him. Listen, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Daniel would write to us this concept. It is God who raises up kings and bring down, brings down kingdoms. Now God uses people. But God wasn't using David. David said, I won't. Touch him. God made him king. God will unmake him king. That is really placing yourselves in the hands of a God who judges righteously. Isn't it? The scripture tells in 1 Peter chapter 2 that the reason why Jesus did not revile against those who reviled him or yell threats or threaten those who caused him to suffer was because he had committed his hands into that or his life into the hands of his father that he had committed himself to the father jesus christ listen don't lose sight of this jesus christ came to earth to show you and i what could be accomplished in a man or woman fully and totally committed to god 
Jesus being God in the flesh, never not being God in the flesh, being fully God and fully man, set aside his divine power. That means he didn't utilize his power. He showed us, he modeled for us, this is how you do it. And he said, rather than than revile in return, when, when somebody shouted hateful things at him, and if you think there were more hateful things that said to you, you're crazy... The, man, the God who created the universe, who could just think a thought and you would cease to exist. He could just, you know, take apart all the molecules in your body. Pfft, gone. And to, to hear his creation saying the kind of things that they were saying to him. But he didn't revile. He didn't react. He didn't strike back. What did he do? He entrusted himself into the hands of his father. In fact, when Peter draws his sword and takes off Malchus's ear, the last miracle that Jesus does is healing someone who one of his disciples had hurt. And he said to Peter, Peter, don't you know I could call 10,000 legions? That's a lot. 10,000 legions of angels. Don't you know that one angel killed 186,000 Assyrians in one night without even breaking a sweat? Jesus doesn't need our help to defend him. And he wants us to learn to trust him to defend us. To defend us. I'm saying we want to live our lives in a place where we are so connected to the Lord that we know when God's calling us to fight and we know when God's calling us to turn the other cheek. And the only way you're going to know the difference is not how you feel. It's going to be by being that connected to him. He is central. David knew. I will not ever touch Saul. Ever. Twice Saul has been delivered into his hand. You could argue more than that because every time Saul missed him with a spear, I promise you David could have pinned him with it. But he didn't. He doesn't go through or do any of those things. He just commits himself into the hands of God. So he's telling Abishai that, listen, you cannot touch God's anointed and be blameless. You cannot go out and attack God's anointed. So he's he's telling him, no, lay it down. David said, furthermore, listen to this. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die. Or he will go out to battle and perish. But I won't touch him. That's pretty amazing. The only person standing between him and the crown. But a man after God's own heart, that's it. I wholly relinquish you, Saul, into the hands of God. Can you do that to your enemies? Can you wholly relinquish? Can you do that to the people who have wronged you? I wholly relinquish you to the hands of God. It's not your job. Yeah, but I, I have to tell them. I have to, I have to make sure they know what they did. Why? 
But David doesn't tell Saul. Well, who says you got to tell him? Just, just give it to God. Give them to God. Let it go. What's, listen, it's not holding them back. It's holding you back. It's holding you back from experiencing the freedom that God wants you to have. He says, forget it. What, verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So, he says, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to do it God's way. But please, he says, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let's go. So he takes his spear. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. No man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because what? A deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Everything in life is an opportunity for us to be proud for example, David and Abishai could have come back to camp and said, man, we're so good. We snuck through all those guys. They never even knew we were there. We are the most talented, you know, super secret soldiers on the face of the earth. But they wrote, we were able to do it because God put a deep sleep on them. See, God gave us the victory. Are you willing to give God the victory in, in every respect in your life? Are you willing to give God the victory for your abilities? Even if those abilities are things that you work at? Because that was the big test for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, hey, let me tell you, he worked hard to make Babylon what it was. He worked hard guiding his army, and he worked hard coming up with the battle plans, and he worked hard putting the people into sub submission and subjection. But ultimately, God said to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm the one who gave it to you. And Nebuchadnezzar struggled with that until God showed him, right? Seven years of insanity. We talked about that, yeah? If the president went out on the front lawn of the White House and started eating grass like a cow and let his hair grow all crazy and his fingernails and he ran around going everywhere to everybody, how long would he stay president? Seven years? No. It's kind of weird, right? But God does that with Nebuchadnezzar just to show him. See, you still have your kingdom because I held it for you. The kingdom I gave you. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. We're gonna, I fully believe we'll see him in heaven. He wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. By his pen. Read it. It starts with this phrase. I, Nebuchadnezzar. That's kind of a dead giveaway. So he's, he's laying those things out. We want to have that same kind of attitude. That's the attitude of a man after God's own heart, being able to commit things to the Lord. So it says in verse 13, So David went over to the other side, stood on top of a hill, great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? David is about to stir the pot. He's not beyond wanting to stir the pot. Abner is the second, you know, the, the chief, the like general over, over Saul's army. Don't lose sight that David knows Abner. Remember, David used to have that position in Saul's army, right? The guy who went out and won all the victories. So it's David, this is not like some new guy who came on the scene. This is Abner. They, he knows him. And he's going to poke some fun at him. Abner, what's going on, man? I was just in there stealing a spear and a jug of water by the king's head. Are you doing your job? He wants to wake him up and 
and give him a little grief. But what, one of the things that you see in this is there's not the fear of man in the voice of David. There's not the fear of man in the voice of David. Why? Listen, you will not tremble in the presence of men if you learn to tremble in the presence of God. Once you have trembled in the presence of God, there's no need to tremble in the presence of men. Ever again. The fear of man shows that you do not have a grasp of the fear of God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and our ability to walk not in the fear of men. And that's what we see with David. He calls out and he says, David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in all of Israel? Why then have you not guarded the Lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And Saul knew David's voice. He says, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it's my voice, my Lord, O king. All the while, David still talks to Saul with respect. He doesn't call him names or say he's a loser or, you know, which is true. But he doesn't do it. Because he becomes an example to us just like the son of David. You know, the Messiah. The one who didn't revile. The one who didn't get in these arguments. You're going to see this. Same concept in David's life play out over and over and over again. He's going to be facing this rebellion with his son Absalom. And Absalom's rising up. And David doesn't want to kill his son. And David's thinking to himself, you know, I haven't been great. I've made mistakes. I, I got that whole thing with Bathsheba and, and Amnon, my son. And, and all these things that have occurred in my life. Maybe God's taken me out of, from being king. So he doesn't fight. He walks out of Jerusalem. He leaves. Absalom's coming with his, his armies. Joab is yelling at David. David, go whoop him for crying out loud. Go get him. David, no, I'm, 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 uh, let's just leave. And as they're walking out of town, there's a fellow on a hill screaming all these horrible things to David. Telling him what a loser he is and God's judgment is upon him. And he's saying all these things. And Joab, David's like right-hand guy who's lived most of his life pretty much out of control. He's just saying, David, you know, let me go kill him. I don't want to hear what this guy has to say. And David says, no. How do you know that's not the voice of God speaking to me? So he doesn't do it. He waits till later. And the guy doesn't learn to be quiet when he should have been quiet. But he waits. I like that about David. I like that he, he is every circumstance that comes into his life. He's looking in every circumstance for the fingerprints of God. Can you see the fingerprints of God in every circumstance in your life? Every time God opens up a door, can you see the fingerprints of God? Every time God gives you an opportunity, can you see the fingerprints of God? Every time you go out and you're late for work, can you see the fingerprints of God? When you're having struggles or issues at work with another employee or a person who works for you, do you recognize the fingerprints of God? 
Because none of those things enter into your life apart from passing through the hands of a God who loves you. All of it. So David lives his life looking. Looking. Weighing. Trying not to react. Last week we saw what happens when David just reacts, right? Remember Nabal the fool and David's going to kill everybody? That's what happens. The wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. We need to understand that. The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. So, David is, is, is a patient man, and David's going to wait, and David's going to trust that God's going to be the deliverer. David's going to wait. Hey, he's going to wait for it all. And so, Saul, he says to Saul, yes, I'm, I, it is me. And he said, Saul says to him, why does the Lord, or David says, why does the Lord thus pursue his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please... Let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept an offering. He's saying, if God is sending you, Saul, if this is God's work in my life, then let me give the offering. I want to be at peace with God. I'm not trying to go to war with you. I'm not trying to fight with you. He's not trying to argue over who's right or wrong. But how many, how many of us spend a great majority of our married life doing that? Well, he's not arguing for who's right. He doesn't say, Saul, you're wrong. He says, listen, if God has sent you, then just let me give an offering. Let me make a sacrifice. Let me make it right. The scripture will go on to tell us in the New Testament, inasmuch as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. By the way, it's not a suggestion. Be at peace. Find peace. Make peace. But he goes on to say, But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go and serve other gods. You know what his primary complaint is here? They've driven me out from the inheritance. I can't worship. I can't go to the tabernacle. I can't go and offer the offerings like we should be able to. I have to live in the wilderness. It doesn't stop David from offering the, 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 the sacrifice of praise. It doesn't, doesn't stop him from pouring out drink offerings before the Lord. But the idea is, man, I want to be able to go to the house of God. But I can't. Because I'm having to hide. Because I'm having to run. So if this is from men giving poor counsel, may they be cursed. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. As when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. He's saying, Saul, you're the king. You don't have to worry about me. Any more than you would have to worry about a flea. I'm not against you. And over and over David has shown that. So Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David. I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Have we seen or heard this before? Yeah, now you know why David didn't go back. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. 
May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. God delivered you, but I didn't take it. So may the Lord repay every man according to his righteousness. Last time Saul and David ever taught. Last words he'll ever say to David was, I'm a fool. I've just been an old fool. Last words he would speak. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Listen to that phrase. Not let my conniving, not let my scheming, not let my plans, not let my lawyer, not let the whoever deliver me. It's let the Lord deliver me. Committing himself in the hands of God, looking for the fingerprints of God and the things that occur in his life and saying, man, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. This day is yours. The events of this day is yours. Make yourself a tool in the hands of God and see how many opportunities he'll give you day in and day out to be his voice. How many opportunities he'll give you day in and day out to be his hands or feet. How many opportunities he'll give you. If you go into your day seeing, here I am, Lord, it's your day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm here for you. I promise you, will not be bored. Plenty of opportunities that God will give, that the Lord will open up, that God will show us. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And then David got depressed. Ever been depressed? Sometimes you don't really need a reason to be depressed. It just happens. Actually, you think everything's pretty good. I mean, David, man after God's own heart, he dealt pretty well with Saul, right? Saul leaves, and David tanks. He tanks. He goes to a dark place, man. He, he, he starts to lose hope. He starts to think, man, you know... Where's God? What's going on? It's always going to be this way. I'm never going to catch a break. So in chapter 27, it says, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He started talking to himself. They say that talking to yourself is only dangerous if you start to answer. I think talking to yourself is only dangerous if you do that more than you talk to God. Talking to yourself, you talk yourself in all kind of crazy ideas. You can talk yourself in all kind of things about what you think is happening and what's going on. David begins to talk to himself. Look at the despair. Listen to what he says. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He did that before. Remember he had to act crazy to leave? Slobbered all over himself and act like a crazy man? He's going back to the same city. He's going back to the same king. He's going to leave the fellowship. 
He's going to leave the, the body. He's going to leave the land that God's called him to. He's going to leave all that and go to the land of the enemy. He's going to live out in the world. Because really, if this is what doing God's will is going to be like, and people are always going to be seeking my life, and life's going to be hard, then I might as well never come to the Lord in the first place. I'm going to go live in the world. So that's what he does. Goes and lives with the Philistines. He's talked himself into it. Saul will despair of me and not seek me anymore in any part of Israel, and so I shall escape out of his hand. And David arose and went with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Amioch, king of Gath. Same place he went before. Remember Gath? That's where a big tall guy was from. What's his name? Oh, Goliath. Goliath. That's where Goliath is from. Who killed Goliath again? David. David, yeah. And he's going to Goliath's hometown. Because there's no way for him to be safe anymore in the hands of God. So he's going to go make his own plan. See how feeble our own plans are? See how feeble they are? So, David went to Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man in his household. So not just David and his 600 men, but their wives and children. They all went. David and his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. It worked. It worked. I'm not getting hunted anymore. I'm not getting hunted. You know, I started coming to church, and the whole time I was coming to church and trying to do things, man, my life just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So you know what I did? I just stopped coming to church, and I went and moved in with the Philistines. And ever since I did that, not a problem. Great. Great. Make peace with the devil and it happens like that. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Oh. Jesus didn't say, come unto me and life will be easy forever. You'll not have any more problems. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest because he is our rest. Because he is our deliverer. Because he is the one who does battle for us. Because he is all those things. But he didn't say it would be easy. He did say it would be good. What are you talking about, Jackie? It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, no, no, no. What it says is, my yoke fits well. That's what it means. My yoke is easy. It means my yoke isn't going to go on your neck and, and rub your neck all raw and make you all burdened like you're more burdened than you were before. What it means is this yoke, when we yoke ourselves to Christ, it fits well. It's well fitting. We can move in it. We can do things in it. We don't feel burdened down because Jesus is shouldering the greatest part of that burden. What the scripture says is my yoke is well fitting. Check it out. You'll see. My burden is light. Come and learn from me. Isn't that what Jesus said? For I am lowly. I am meek, humble. The humble king. He is able. He is able. We want to put ourselves in his hands. But David loses his heart and he runs to the camp of the enemy. That worked out really good for Peter, by the way, right? 
when he went and warmed himself by the fires of the enemy? Oh, uh, that's where he denied him three times. Oh, but it worked out really good for Judas, right? When he made a deal with the, the priests uh, to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Oh, no, that wasn't so good either, huh? No, no. Hmm. I wonder if you'll be able to find a situation in the Bible where it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, Jonah didn't work out so good for him either. He became fish food. So we want to realize God wants us to remain in the place that he has us. And David's not doing it. So David says to Achish the king, If I have found favor in your eyes, well, let them give me a place in some town in the country where I may dwell. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So David's saying, let me go live outside of the royal city. Just someplace. So Achish gave him Ziglag. Ziglag is interesting. According to Joshua, Ziglag was given to the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah never possessed it. Remember, they were supposed to go in and push out the enemies and possess the land. God gave them. Well, they never went and took Ziglag. So now David's going to take it. First time Ziglag's going to be in the hands of a, a Judite. Someone from the tribe of Judah. So the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one year and four months. Man. Doesn't take very long. Once you start leaving that place where God is, you can find yourself outside for a long time. Oh, I'm sure David was doing God's will there, right? Well, see, there's a problem with that. It's kind of hard to do God's will if you're not walking in God's will. It's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Many times what you'll try to do is be busy and look like you're doing God's will. And it's going to look that way, but you'll see it doesn't have the fingerprints of God on it. It says in verse 8, And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And when he came to Achish, he would say to him, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah. Well, I didn't really lie, because it's really in the southern area of Judah. I just was raiding against the Canaanites, not the Israelites. See, he implies that he's raiding against Israel. And that's what the Philistines believe. But in reality, he's raiding against the Canaanites, and he's killing them all and taking all their stuff. Which is not a problem if God says, go. But... Well, I don't see David asking the priest. Do you see David saying to... Remember all the times he went to battle before? What did he do? He called the priest to him. He said, inquire of the Lord if this is what we ought to do. Shall we go and deliver? Shall we go to battle? And the Lord would say, yes, go. And he would go. But he's not asking God, right? Because he knows he's not where he's supposed to be. The future king of Israel is with the enemies of Israel living with them. So his life will be a little easier. You see, a man after God's own heart isn't about being perfect. It's not about not making mistakes. Even if the mistakes take a year and four months to work their way out. It's not about that. It is about recognizing our mistakes and coming back. 
Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? Isn't that the story Jesus told about the two sons that were asked to go work in the field of the father? And one son says, no, I ain't going to do it. Well, what happened to him? A little while later, he starts thinking, oh, that was kind of harsh. I'm, I'm going to go do it. And he goes and does the work. Jesus says that's a picture of repentance. Not because his attitude was perfect, but because he went and did what he was supposed to do. So here David is, killing people. He's got all this activity, and he's winning, so God must be with him, right? But it doesn't say that. When he snuck into the camp, remember he snuck into the camp of Saul? There's even this, the phrase that says, and God caused a deep sleep. I don't, I don't see God's deliverance. I see David being busy. Killing a bunch of people. Getting blood all over his hands. One day he's going to want to build God's house. And what's God going to tell him? Because you have blood on your hands, David. Blood on your hands. I'm going to give it to a king of peace. Solomon comes in without that blood on his hands. Well... <clears throat> It says in verse 11, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath and say, lest they should inform on us, saying, this is what David really did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. That's what he did the whole time, a year and four months. He lied for a year and four months. For a year and four months, he lied to the king of the, of the Philistines. To a year and four months, he lies to his men. To a year and four months, he lies to his wives. For a year and four months, he lies to all the 600 people who have entrusted themselves to him. And it's all going to come crashing down. See, initially, when we get outside of God's will and things get easier, we think we made a good choice. But sooner or later, you wake up next to the pig pen. Sooner or later, you find yourself eating slop. Sooner or later, you realize, how did I get here? It wasn't my intent. But look what they say. Listen, look what they say. So Achish, the last verse. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. What's the last phrase? Therefore, he will be my servant forever. So the enemies of God think David's with them. How's that a good thing? How, 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 can, how can we think eventually... <laughs> what's he think? Eventually, they're going to go to war against Israel and he's going to say, David, let's go. It's not going to take very long. It's the next verse in chapter 28. Hey, let's go to war. Let's go wipe out them Israelites now that you're a Philistine. Now that you're with the enemies of God, hey, let's go wipe out the people of God. It's, it's, it never works out to make peace with the enemy, to warm yourself at the enemy's fire. But it's easier for a season. It's easier for a season. David's going to run around and try to sit in the middle. And God is going to allow an army to go to Ziglag and take them all. 
while David and his 600 men are going to be out gallivanting and raiding and doing all these things, an army is going to come to Ziglag and take every man's wife, every man's son, every man's family, every man's flock, every man's everything. Because when you are in service to the devil, he only comes to lie, steal, and destroy. And so you get a year's peace. When David and the 600 men return to Ziglag, and all their wives are gone, and all their children are gone, what do you think is on their mind? Sure is peaceful here? It's never peace outside of being where God's called you to be. We want to make practical application of it, I think. Sometimes we have issues even within the body of Christ, don't we? Sometimes we're coming to church and we do battle with people that sit on the other side of the church. Oh, them Castle Ford people. They sat in my seat. Now I had to sit in a new seat. I had to sit in the filer section. I don't want to sit in the filer section. Maybe you got grief going on with brothers and sisters and you start to say, man, forget it. I just won't go. And you may have life be pretty good for a while. And one day you wake up and your wife's gone and your kids are gone and life is a little bit sketchy and you think, how did I get here? All starts with a choice to be outside of what God is calling you to do. If God's calling you to bail, go in peace. Bail. Do what God's calling you to do. Just make sure God's calling you to it. I promise you, God's not telling you to stop going to church. God's not telling you to stop studying your Bible. God's not telling you to stop praying. God's not telling you to stop worshiping. God's not telling you that stuff. That's not Him. It's not His voice. God doesn't say that. His Word says, Do not uh, uh, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. By the way, again, that's not a suggestion. Doesn't say where you have to go, but you got to go someplace. You got to be connected somewhere with the body of Christ. Don't run like David did, or you will face some of those same things that David faced. God is the great hound of heaven, and I praise God for that because when I ran from God, He didn't let me go. He was on my heels, man. I had to keep running harder to stay ahead of Him. I thought I was staying ahead of Him, but really, He was way ahead of me. And I kept running down that road away from the Lord. And I ran as hard as I could away from God. Worked out pretty good for me, right? Yeah, whatever. Walk in my shoes, man. Walk in my shoes. How did I get to that place? How did I get to a place where I'm standing in front of a guy saying, Well, son, we know that HIV is not only gotten by... IV drug abuse and homosexual relationships. So we can't really explain how you have it, but you got it. 
Running from the house of God was a good idea by that time. Somehow I think I wouldn't have had to go through that had I stayed in the house of God. Oh, God used it all. Praise Him. God, that's, that's, God, that's the beauty of the resurrection that we're going to be talking about Sunday. The beauty of the resurrection is, man, we get another chance. We get an opportunity for God to say, I give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what God does. He redeems the dead and makes it live again. That's what God does. That's the beauty of the resurrection. That's the beauty of Easter. It's coming. You have to hear the rest of that when you come Sunday. But the, the idea is still the same, man. Still the same. Be where God wants you to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to come before you, an opportunity to study your word, to learn from David, to learn what David did and how David is a man after God's own heart. God, to be obedient to you and to just trust you and allow you to do your perfect thing in our life. God, your perfect work. That being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is better than dwelling in the tents of the wicked. Yes. That's it. David's going to learn that. He's going to learn. Right now he's in the tents of the wicked. If there's anybody here tonight that is thinking, I'm in the tents of the wicked. I'm in a tense. I'm listening. I'm having conversation with myself. I'm not having conversation with God. I know what God is calling me to do, and I won't do it. He's saying go to Nineveh, and I say no. He's saying make peace with your brother, and I'm saying no. Man, it's better to be in the center of God's will than any place else on this planet. God will win. But God wants to win it with a submitted heart, a committed life. Lord, I pray that we would be those with submitted hearts and committed lives, holy and completely given over to you, glorifying you with our lives, Lord, and seeing you do great things here. Don't let us hold back the, the move of revival in our nation, in our towns, in our homes, in our families, because of disobedience when you are calling us to move. Or sins of presumption, just doing our own thing. God, I pray that you would do your perfect work in each of us, that we would have ears to hear you, eyes to see, a heart willing to say, I want to do what God's calling me to do. I want to be who God's calling me to be. I want to fulfill His perfect plan in my life. God, I pray you would do an amazing work in our lives as we seek to submit ourselves to you wholly and completely. In Jesus' name, amen.